Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about negative progression. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is that we do on this podcast. On this podcast, what we do is talk about games. Um, this is... A, a well this is your this is your thing so introduce introduce yeah. this topic so uh this, so this is inspired by uh last tuesday in destiny 2 which i have started playing again as regular students may, may know um uh, they introduced the last word which is a destiny one exotic um but part of the quest to get it involves uh getting kills in uh the pvp mode now the interesting thing is that if you get if you die in the pvp mode it retards your progress a little bit so you essentially have to be pretty decent at the pvp in order to ever finish the quest um and this has uh, rubbed some people the wrong way uh in the kind of like i don't know why i have to do this to get this to get this weapon type of way um this has also been countered by the standard kind of calls of like if you're not good enough to get it you don't deserve to get it etc etc and it got me thinking about these types of uh, negative progression things because you know I, I do think there's a point where they they feel bad, but, you know, a lot of games have some sort of negative progression in that, like, if you fail, you are set back some modicum of progression, uh, like if you die or whatever, and you have to you start to start again from the top. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about these systems, what makes them uh, good or bad, right? Like, what, what, when you hit the edge of something that's that's not so great and... and uh, uh, what, what's acceptable. Um, and you know, this is, this is the right thing to do it. So, uh, but do you, you have any initial thoughts off the bat, maybe about this destiny example, maybe about something else? So that, uh... funnily enough, I do, uh, especially because I, my, my, my thesis when it comes to this is negative progression is an interesting concept, right? Um, and it's one that I think has been has, like, has a well, uh, established, I guess I would say, uh, track record across game design, right? But that over the course of time, we have gotten away from it as design. And I suspect that a lot of designers would, you know, if we were to bring them on the podcast, they would say like, oh, well, negative progression, just like, it just feels awful. And so to avoid that, we don't really design it in anymore. And I think that that's not a great idea. I think that there is something here and that we're kind of losing something a little bit um, by kind of only ever really designing around positive progression experiences. Um, so I, I, I think you have a point. I think it's definitely more um, prevalent nowadays to, to, to lack negative progression. But I think that there's also some balancing act aspects there um like uh first of all i'd say that like there is a whole subgenre called roguelikes and roguelites um that thrive on your progression resetting every time you die like totally resetting every time you die um and that's been popular kind of the last few years not from like uh i would say uh a, a top down uh or like a triple a approach although although may maybe Maybe Battle Royale games are an example of kind of this, about, like, you die and you just j jump back to the top um, of, of the round, and you can't advance anymore. But I do think you have a yeah, point I mean, in that. Really, the interaction that I'm looking for is, uh, is like, kind of the journey from, like, arcades, where, where when you die, your progression resets because they're trying to fleece you for quarters, um, into consoles, where when you die, you reset because there's not all that much content and making things Nintendo hard pads runtime um, into like 
even like some some save systems that you might see in like Skyrim or whatever, right? Like have this aspect to like when you die, you reset a certain amount of your your you reset a certain amount of your progress and all of that other kind of stuff, right? Um, but like we've been seeing a downward trend in these things. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, although I, and I, would... I definitely do think, uh, and I definitely do think that it feels bad in the wrong circumstances. Uh, a good example of this actually might be something like EverQuest, uh, which I'm not an expert on, but EverQuest and other MMOs like that, um, when you died, you lost experience and you could even de-level, right? And you lost all of your gear and stuff like that until you could complete a corpse run. Um, and like that stuff, I think is you know, like is is part of where negative progression kind of like really started waning i feel like people were not very happy with those kinds of mechanics i i, I agree but i would point out that like even even today it's not like if you beat half of a boss that you respawn at its halfway point although i guess in some games you do but most of the time um like you know you have to beat a, a whole boss in one go and even if you're like right there um, yeah. then you get reset to the back of that boss's progression if, if you if you fail out. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I, I think part of the thing that I really wanted to examine, though, is like, I, I think I agree with you that, that we trend towards, uh, how, what's the right way to put this, less punishing gameplay, um, except in places where you look for it, right? Your roguelikes, your Dark Souls. Um, but uh, I think there is something to the idea that um, there are places where it makes more sense and less sense, right? Like if you, if you take, I, I, I've been thinking about this Destiny example, right? And no one gets mad about like an achievement that's like you know, kill five people without dying type of thing, um, because you know e even if you like lose your progress on it, um, you it, it's an achievement, right? It's something that's it's generally considered tertiary to the game experience it's 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 a thing that's meant to be a challenge the thing that's meant that not it's the thing that not, not everybody is necessarily going to accomplish in their playtime with the game whereas something like the last whisper which is a gun in a looter shooter um i feel like maybe that crosses the line because it's a uh it's kind of more part of the core destiny experience, more of the part of that core loop where you find different weapons and you try them out, especially when it's something that's not based off of a role. Like this is the only way to get it. You have to go through these quest steps. Um, and so having that locked off behind what is technically an optional piece of gameplay, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the PVP stuff is not something that you have to participate in. Um, maybe makes some sense to me. Um, uh, like, um, so somebody, uh, maybe it was the angry GM brought this up when he was talking about Hollow Knight of all things, but having kind of like the completionist aspect locked behind, uh, which is like for one type of player locked behind a PVP feat, which is for another type of player is maybe skirting with bad design. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, that is kind of interesting because we have been talking a little bit about like generalized things. Um, and I also think that like, I guess I would call some of these like regression mechanics. Um, they pop up in other places and other ways too. Um, but it's, it's hard because, you know, and we've talked about this before when it comes to like, wow, or something like that. Like some of these games are kind of like omnibuses or almost like 
you know, they're almost like, uh, they're like five games in one, right? Where it's, you know, PVP, it's, it's small, small scale arena PVP, large scale group PVP, you know, small scale group content in Mythic Plus and large scale group content in heroic raids and stuff like that, right? And so like, I think it's okay to a certain extent to gate stuff off behind certain kinds of, um, you know, behind certain kinds of content, right? There are some armor transmogs in WoW that you can only get if you hit gladiator rank in PvP, right? Um, And there are some weapon models that will only ever drop from mythic raids, and you're going to have to do mythic raids in order to get them sort of thing. Um, That completionist edge, though, I think falls off in a game like WoW because it has such a volume, Um and there isn't the same kind of expectation that you can do everything and 100% it, right? Like, the impetus that I feel when I play, you know, Dragon Age Inquisition to clear my quest log or whatever is a different feeling than the impetus I feel in World of Warcraft. Because somewhere somewhere in my mind in World of Warcraft, I'm like, look, there are thousands of quests I'm never going to complete. Um because, you know, they're under-leveled or, you know, whatever whatever reason sort of thing. And so you can just kind of, like, leave that stuff to on the by, like, leave that stuff to be bygone. Um, whereas in Dragon Age, or even in, like, Skyrim, where you're constantly picking up quests and they're all hitting your quest log and it has infinite amount of space, there is that real kind of, like, well, I should be able to 100% this single-player game impetus. Um, and I'm not really sure what divides those two experiences outside of just volume, right? Do I just need to stare down all of the achievements in World of Warcraft and and come to terms with the fact that I will never, ever, ever, ever be able to complete all of them um, versus something like, you know, Dragon Age or Skyrim that can seduce me sort of into into thinking that. I don't know. I don't really have actually... I don't have a very good answer to that question. Um, but there is definitely a line somewhere. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I, I agree with you there that it might, that it might be on volume because there there are a relatively small number of um of exotics uh to collect i think part of it also might be that like a lot of a lot of destiny as kind of like a lifestyle game is, is a lot of sublimation type gameplay right grindy type gameplay where you go and you do a bunch of stuff and this is a thing where like you know it's, it's still a bit grindy but if you're not good enough at the grinding task you will never get there right you will it will actively um take away from your progression i wonder if that's part of it i wonder if like like a thing that resets like if you know get x in a row and it resets feels different from a thing where like you could start building up progress and then it will slowly creep backwards um if you start failing uh um and that's kind of not the the desired end goal of of the activity may i think that might have something to do with it too right because like kills like having a good kda isn't technically the end state of a crucible match of a pvp match right like you can win the game while being under one kda and um even though most of the quick play i think all the quick play games are like some variation of of getting kills uh, on the other team um you know theoretically you could be doing things that aren't getting kills. it's a little bit harder it's a little bit harder to abstract in in this exactly because even even the capture the 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 point variance have kills as like the as like the feeding mechanism you you capture a hill and and having more hills captured makes your kills worth more um 
Uh, but I definitely think a big part of it is like, you know, a lot of the quests are like complete 10 quests or complete 10 crucible matches. Um, and it's not too hard. And, and, you know, and that's not predicated on you winning or you doing one of those matches or like win so, two or three. I feel like this is actually, I didn't, I didn't really think about it in these terms, but I think the most prevalent form of negative progression um, is actually in ranked modes. Right. right. Where you're gaining and losing ELO based on successes or failures, right? This is this is where we most commonly see negative progression as a game mechanic. And I think people, you know, and I think it very, you know, uh, uh, obviously chafes people, right? People complaining about ELO hell and stuff like that um, come from the negative progression. And the thing is, is that, like, the, all of these rank systems are fundamentally predicated on negative progression right because you otherwise you can't police skill values and make mmr ratings right if nobody sure. can ever lose mmr kind of thing um which is something i never even, I, I never even thought about when we were start we're starting to talk about this kind of concept but yeah like the 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 i maybe that's the maybe I, that's the use of it that i was kind of looking for in my like opening kind of argument right I think we part of it too into these ranked uses. Yeah, I think part of it too is, is that these elo cases that you're talking about are are definitely part of this, but they're also kind of like the point, right? Like it's like you are not you you are playing these matches to affect your elo, right? You're not you're not um, like theoretically in the, in this last word example, you're playing these matches to get the gun, right? Like you don't. You know, this theoretical player who's upset that he can't get this gun doesn't care about Crucible. He cares about getting the gun, and he doesn't want to have to care about doing well in order to get it because most of the game allows yeah. him to not care about that. Right? In a game like League of Legends or Overwatch or even the competitive mode in uh, in Destiny um, where your score very, uh, very, it varies, that's kind of the whole point of the um, – of the cruci- – of, of the uh, – of that mode, right? Like, it, it is to build up that score. And so I think the negative progression, while it still stings, um, is less of a thing that you're upset about because that's kind of the experience you're signing up for, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to talk about... Like, so so, so what's what's your impression kind of from afar as to if this is this is a a, a good... Maybe acceptable is a better word. Design step for for this last word in particular, just because it's 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 the the cause du jour. That is a good question. I do like the idea that the uh, that upgrading an item or attaining an item um, is like there is some real push and pull to it. Because otherwise, I think you can just find yourself sort of getting into, like, a grindy situation, right? You know, you need to – you want to make it feel meaningful, right? But there's really no threat of failure ever. So you just say, kill Jaina ten times and you get a a super cool weapon or whatever. But it's not like every time you wipe on Jaina, you lose, you know, your your progress. Um and I, you know, and I, I think that that tension and that balance is probably key to making some of these things feel like real attainments of skill, right? They, they are these real skill feats um, that 
you have to work for and overcome and learn from. Um, and I and I guess I I guess I'm kind of making this is the, this is like the argument that I was making a little bit in the beginning where I feel like we should have more mechanics like these because I think a a healthy failure mechanic right like a healthy regression for whatever progress you've made um, to kind of act as a as a threat sort of like raises the stakes in a way for whatever it is that you're doing and makes it feel like a more real accomplishment than just you know, grinding out mythic Jaina 10 times or whatever the, you know, like whatever the case may be. Um, because like there's, there's a real drawback. And if you were not good, you are going to get, you were going to get hounded. And that's frustrating, man. Like that really sucks. And I feel this all the time. Um, even when I'm playing like single player games or whatever, right? Like you better believe if I start, if I'm playing like a game of civilization or like Europa Universalis and I make like a really bad mistake and, like, war gets declared on me, and, like, I am a very quick person to be like, well, this playthrough's done! <laughs> just, like, never revisit it, you know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. ah, well, ah, well, whatever, you know, like, um... So, like, me... <laughs> I, this almost has me getting like introspective a little bit because like because like yeah like that frustration is just so powerful and do is it is the is that lack of stakes worth the lack of frustration that comes with injecting those stakes I don't have a I don't have a good answer to that question at all to be honest yeah um, I, I think I think part of it too like 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 I said like defeating Mythic Jaina ten times right like. You still have to beat Jaina, which is kind of its own feat, right? Like, you know, I can say every time we beat a Raiden Destiny, every time we beat a Braid boss in, uh, in, in WoW, and when we were doing that, it felt like you still got the sense of accomplishment because every time you died, you did reset to the start of that boss at the very least. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, there, there's still that, that sense of, uh, of accomplishment there. Um, I think. Maybe part of it is that like there's 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 a uh, a thing that feels decent um, that feels better about accomplishing something once than, than having to be consistently good at something, right? Like you know, beating say uh, let, let's let's use um, uh, Xavius, right? Because that was the last thing we did together, I think. In WoW. Um, mm. Uh, you know, beating Xavius, uh, like, once felt like an accomplishment. And there's, I think, kind of a sense that even if you're not good enough to regularly beat Xavius, occasionally the stars will align and you will you will beat him once because you got everything to come together for that run. And, you know, even though it was there was some luck in there, um, it was... Uh, you know, you, you got through it and you could celebrate and, you know, pop corks or whatever. Um, whereas the other side of this is, is something like uh, uh, this, this challenge that, that you're up against for the last word is you have to execute on killing other people and you have to do that over and over again and w without being killed. And when you don't, you're faced with the fact, you're faced with the, the facts that you uh, you're not good enough at it. And not only that, but like, even if things go really well for you in one game, you have to repeat, you, you can't, you, th that can't be enough to get you over the edge. Like, you know, um, for some more context, 
uh, the last word take like even players who are really good, it takes them like three or four games to uh, to to max it out and and complete it. Um, it's just kind of the nature of, of of how the game is. And so even if you're you know you get really lucky in the starts line, you drop into a game with relatively inexperienced players, and you're just hot that game, and you do really well. That fills you up to thirty three percent. And, you know, you get drop, drop it to the next game and everything goes to shit and you're back down to zero. That's, I think, a very frustrating experience. Um, yeah. And uh, I think I, – I, I do think a big part of it is that the people who are who are complaining the most are the people who don't want to be in this in the first place, right? They don't want to be playing Crucible. Um, they don't like playing Crucible. They That's not what they come to Destiny for. Um, and hmm. – I, I think I think I think part of this too is that exotics are such like a core part of the Destiny experience, right? It's not like a mog like in WoW, right? It is right. like one of several things that is very important. This had a trailer that went with it, right? This is a well loved exotic from the first game too. There's a lot of baggage with this, um, and I think it's relatively easy to be complete completion of Destiny. This goes to that volume point you were talking about before, right? Um, World of Warcraft has you know approximately seven billion things to collect. Uh, Destiny like seven hundred thousand individual <laughs> items or something like that. Really? Yeah, um, like, Jesus Christ! Nobody is going to be able to one hundred. Well, I mean, sure, maybe if somebody like really hardcore dedicates themselves to no life in the game for years at a time. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but that being said, right? Like, and, and I think that maybe. I mean, there's a reason that WoW did away with the uh, like the unique mount that came with Encourage, right? Um, yeah. Like those types of things, I think are, are are generally kind of unsatisfying. Any, anything that kind of is is supposed to be like a marquee feature is the way I'm going to put it. Feels bad to not be able to to access. Yeah, they don't lock your artifact weapon behind. Right. You know what I mean? Like behind a progression wall. Yeah, um, you, they locked your you PvP skin behind weapon. it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you if the, the, like, yeah, I I actually think that that's very telling. Right, is that it is like a feature of the game itself that is kind of being locked. Like the stuff that is re- that are rewards in WoW sometimes are you know like it, it'll almost never be like a game feature or like a mechanic or something kind of um, kind of like that. It'll almost always be like a like a sort of like cosmetic, right? Um, and that you know if you want to get items, if you want to get gear and stuff like that that will take the 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 more straightforward route i guess we would call it though i guess there is something to be said about like the the quote-unquote negative progression of raiding where like if you're wiping in your raids you're not progress you know what i mean you're not getting your items but i think that is a little bit different than what we're talking about where you can literally lose progress yeah um that's interesting like it's not like if you lose enough raids that you you start losing your your items but this, this is interesting because it ties back into a, a thing that is kind of a a common complaint from like from the vanilla wow was the best uh type crowd which is that you know raid finder and uh like titan forging um are like banes of wow's existence and remove skill from the game and stuff like that um and i think maybe this gets kind of gets back to your original point which is moving away from that design can moving away from negative progression design can be a negative aspect in, in some situations um, like, I think that, like, uh, uh, something like, like, uh, Wraith Finder, I think is ultimately good, right? Because it lets people see aspects of the, uh, of the content they weren't going to see otherwise, right? Like, 
Um, tourist mode is fine for, for doing tourism. Yeah, um, especially because even, like, you know, so, yeah, it can technically happen that somebody in Raid Finder gets, like, a super max level thing from Titan Forging. But, like, that that is a... That's also, like, a, a question of scale or degree rather than kind. Like, that is possible, but it is so unlikely that, as far as I'm concerned, right, like, anybody really kind of co- complaining about that is mistaken, I guess, in how they and how they kind of are like reading like the game design. Because fundamentally speaking, people don't enter Raid Finder in order to get Titan Forged gear that will get them to you know what I mean, that will get them into mythic raids because they understand that the chance is so low. They go into Raid Finder because, you know, they wanna they wanna see what it's like to kill, you know, whoever to kill Gahoon and uh, and don't have a regular raid group in order to, to help them get there. Yeah, I, I I think that um, there's an aspect of that that's like you, you're you're mostly right, but I think there is like a level of frustration where it's like I've been running Mythic for like weeks now, and none of my gear is dropping, and it's and it's terrible. And then my friend Jim, who picked up the game two weeks ago, got a Titan Forge roll, and that's frustrating. And I think I think this is one of these uh, like like. I hesitate to call it wrong, but it's like a perceived like you you only hear about like the really god even though there's like ten billion raid finder rolls a day, um, only like you know a minuscule minuscule fraction of them are Titan forged to like this absurd level, but you hear about them because they make their way onto the internet, right? Like this is uh, <laughs> this is uh, it's it's called the frequency illusion, I think. Um, uh, but um, there you know. There is some, at least it was perceived that there was some legitimacy to that because they do believe Blizzard put a cap on the Titan forging uh, of certain things. Correct? Like there's only a um, certain number. Num- Titan forging, yeah, it, it is definitely capped somewhere, um, and it is it is like because um, uh, it's a chance on a chance kind of thing. So like for every five item levels you roll. Um, you get another roll to increase by five item levels. So it's not like flipping a coin. It's like flipping 20 coins and right. they all come up heads in order for like this, this kind of thing to happen. And it's, it's worse than that. It's you flip 20 coin, like you flip 20 coins in a row. And if one of them comes up tails, then you don't flip the rest of the coins. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, like, I, I just remember around the beginning of maybe it was Warlords that Blizzard announced that they were capping Titan Forging at you know X number of levels. That way you couldn't get this runaway effect even if you were really lucky. Um, you know it, that feels like a thing where you do it because it makes people feel better, even if it wasn't really that much of a problem. Um, uh, but yeah, um, what other aspects of this? Uh, can we explore? Um, so something, some something else that this comes up with is, is kind of like we were saying, like when you die to a boss, you reset that boss's progression. Um, somewhat famously, uh, Dark Souls, you even when you're doing boss runs, you 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 don't respond out to the boss when you respond at the last bonfire, and so like there's this part of the game which is the the boss run which is where you have to get from your bonfire to the boss arena which is usually has at least a few enemies in between um and there's you know a lot about like you know like it's it's kind of the nature of the game that you can kind of actually avoid a lot of enemies if you know where you're going um but 
Um, it's also a thing that I know that frustrates a lot of newer players. Right, the game is very hard in the first place, and uh, you know, lose like almost beating a boss only to lose and then have to like um, uh, run through a couple of enemies to get back there. I, I think. I think the most rage-inducing moments, ones you could probably find videos of, uh, streams of, are someone almost beating a boss, failing, um, and going back to their to the their bonfire, and then in the run up, getting killed on on the boss run. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that that is absolutely a very frustrating experience. Yeah, and, and you know um, that that's kind of core to the Dark Souls experience. So I'm hesitant to say that it's necessarily like a like a bad like I'm I'm like you know this is kind of like what you signed up for. Um, when you when you went for this game, but uh, but Dark Souls is otherwise regressive when you you have to keep banking your souls. Well, that's a good point. Like, is yeah. that the currency? So um, so so when you die, your souls drop at your body, um, and your so the souls are kind of like the level up currency. They're also the purchasing currency, although it works differently in three, maybe. Um. Anyway, um. But yeah, you can go pick them up, and if you die a second time, then they disappear forever, which is an incredibly frustrating thing. If you die to like an offhand swing by somebody or something, where like you, there the, the number of runs I can tell you where like it should be something very simple that I've done a dozen times, but something hit me the wrong way, it just snowballs into like me dying immediately, and me wanting to tear my hair out is uh, is is enormous. Um, mm-hmm. But is there is there anything that is there any benefit to like not banking your souls as often as possible? Um, so you have to buy something with them, right? Like you can't you can't just like put your souls in like a oh oh in a okay, bank, okay. right? Oh, okay, so like if you're if you're saving up for like a big powerful upgrade, right? There's a yeah. little bit of like tension and risk reward in that. I think that's a great example of this yeah. kind of no, you're absolutely regressive, right. you know, uh, anti progress gameplay or whatever. Um, and I actually like this example a lot, and I and I wonder. To what extent the um, uh, the effects of uh, Dark Souls as like a successful game, right, is due to kind of like really well honed and well tuned mechanics like this? Because I think when it's when you, when you have progression and regression, kind of pulling you in opposite directions, right, and it becomes a risk reward thing. That's really interesting and compelling. Like I know that I, I I don't know the specifics of this, so those of you who play Dota Two Auto Chess can feel free to correct me. Um, Dota Two Auto Chess is like a custom map, right? Like one of the old Warcraft Three custom maps or something like that in the Dota Two engine. Um, and a lot of Hearthstone streamers have been playing it recently. But like one of the things about it is that like you can bank money. You you get gold every round it's kind of like turn-based or whatever you can get gold every round um and you can bank that money and it will start accruing interest right and the more interest you accrue you or like the more gold you accrue the more interest you you accrue obviously right um but obviously when when your gold is just sitting in your bank it is literally useless right and it doesn't have it doesn't kind of like have a use on screen and so there's a delicate balance between well when do i spend money out of my bank and when do i save it to to start accruing as much interest as possible so that I can hit, like, late game, you know, units or whatever as, as fast as po- 
as fast as possible. That tension, that dynamic, I think, is really strong and really good. Funnily enough, it's also something that I've um, that I've experienced in uh, in a game called Bloons. Have you ever played Bloons, the tower defense game? I haven't played. The, I've played the the original, which was like the you you shoot. It's like just balloon popping, but. No, I have no Okay, yeah, so Bloons 5 is the one that I played, um, which is just like a tower defense game. Um, and there are these waves and waves of balloons, and you can put down towers that will pop the balloons sort of thing, just to explain the, the core premise to people. Um, but every time you pop a balloon, you get, like, a dollar. Um, and, and towers cost money. But you can also get money generating towers essentially right like you can buy a farm that will generate money round over round and so <clears throat> when you get into the higher difficulties of balloons you get into this tension of like you can't beat around without using a farm right you have to at some point start farming up more money and generating more money because the amount of balloons they give you are just too many for the you know like even if you spent your balloons as efficiently as possible right it's just really really hard to clear all of them uh without that extra income or whatever but that means that you have to sink a bunch of money into getting the farm and upgrading the farm to to a point where it is spitting out um kind of cash turn over turn and that creates a real tension especially in like the middle rounds of the game which typically aren't very dangerous um and that creates a real tension where you're like okay i have you know two thousand dollars in the bank i could go buy a new tower that's really good and will help me clear balloons or i could kind of let it ride a little bit and spend that two thousand dollars upgrading my farm which has no effect on the on my ability to pop balloons it is purely an investment in the future right um those and and you know the risk obviously here is you die um and you reset your ability to, to like clear the to like clear the round but i feel like those sorts of interactions where you can make a real credible and tangible decision between am i going to am i going to play play this now in order to um in order to kind of like you know stay in the game or am I going to let it go until a little bit later and just kind of trust that the infrastructure I've built so far will be able to, to handle it? I feel like if you're doing anything with regression mechanics, you have to have this you have to have like this kind of interaction with it, otherwise it does feel like kind of shitty and frustrating in a way. So, so I, I'm not quite sure I, I, I caught what what exactly is is the mechanic that, that makes it like What's the regression in your example? Because is this you know that, that's like a standard you, you, kind of. You do of... rounds. You you like you right. you'll do a map right and you're, right. and you'll be, um, like like farming like the maps to try and get money for like a meta game sort of thing or whatever. So like failing a map sucks. It's kind of like a, like a roguelike sort of thing. Okay. Um, but I think but the the but really what I'm trying to isolate is that like that tension of risk reward that comes with it right sure it's not like so for instance it's not like with the last word um you you have the choice on how i mean maybe that's actually not true um i was gonna say like when you have the when you're when you're talking about the last work you don't really have the choice on how the 
on how you engage with like the the progression or regression mechanics right it's not like you get the last word and you can talk to somebody and he will say okay i'm taking five percent of your progress but your new floor is now here right and you can no longer lose that you know like right yeah yeah. lose that or something like that you can't really like make any real informed decisions about like the progression and the regression mechanics um and I feel like that's part of what makes it feel bad and not great is you is you are entirely on the hook for a system that you can kind of your only choice is opt in opt out right it's not more complicated or more complex than that that makes sense um okay yeah 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 um i i th- i think that's i, I think that's that, that's fair there's no kind of balancing act there um because you know that that economy thing is that's kind of like the standard strategy game thing right like how much do you invest in your economy versus your military mm-hmm. um or you know and like civ like you've got like science vectors as well um yeah definitely um and i guess the negative regression is that if you don't put enough into your military then you lose the city which which has its own sort of negative effects and there's sort of, yeah I, I i feel that it's definitely it's it's a little bit of a stretch when it when it kind of comes to some of these like regression things but yeah. i think but i think that having that aspect of like risk reward where uh, you get to kind of own your own progression and regression in a in a um in a kind of like agency way i think is um i don't know is there something about the crucible that allows somebody to do that can you queue into harder but stronger, you know what I mean? Like, is there something kind of along those lines? So I, I think I think the thing here is that it's other players, right? Like, every kind of challenge in Destiny is is uh, is PV um, is, is kind of PVE generally. But and you know you can take a lot of those things as uh, as slow as you want, right? Like, there's no real penalty for just kind of crawling along. Um, if you're underleveled for something, it'll be hard to progress, but that's, like, its own... Like, that's, like, you're not playing by the rules of the game almost. You can just grind until you get hi- higher light levels. Um, and uh, I guess you could be, like, you could be frustrated by a boss encounter, but, like, it... Like, I don't know, you, you reset to the beginning of the boss encounter and you just start going again. Um, and it's not, it's not like, you know, it, it's not like you need to ever be in there for that long. Right, like it's it's uh, it, it's not like it's a uh, um, it, it's like the, the boss fights are not like so drawn out like doing well in like three or four consecutive crucible matches would be. Um, so I I think maybe a big part of this is just like it's it's PvP, right? Like you can't control other players, you can't control exactly, and it's PvP that's like a unified system. It's not like you're 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 uh, particular like the so there's. There's competitive and quick play, and they have separate ranking levels. And quick play rankings only ever go up, right? You just play it, and your and your score just kind of goes up. Um, and it's not necessarily skill matched. Um, competitive is, but if you're playing competitive, they're all everybody's playing at a higher level, right? Like it's like it's like uh, like uh, the different. It's like ranked versus not unranked in in lol. Um, but without kind of like the the balancing that's there, so like you have no control over whether or not the people that you're fighting against are good or not, and 
uh, I can tell you that I've been in situations where I've just been outclassed and I just do terribly that game. And that's fine when you're just playing a Crucible match, right? There are some games when you do poor. There's some games when you get a .2 KDA um, and it's terrible and you feel bad. But, you know, that ultimately that vanishes um, at the end of the game. And I can tell you, right, like right now I'm at about 55%, maybe 60% right now with that because I'm not that great at, at, at the Crucible. I enjoy it very much. But I can tell you right now if I had like one of those .2 KDA games, um, uh, I might like be back down to like, you know, 10, maybe even like 0% again. And that would be incredibly demoralizing just because like I happen to luck into a game with a lot of like players that are better than me. This was, I think also, so, so this is a, a funny artifact of the system. Um, but like right when it came out, I think it was worse because all of the people who were like hardcore PVPers were coming out of competitive to go into quick play where they could like, you know, like stomp on people and get their last word done quickly. And mm-hmm. so all, all the normal PVers that don't PVP that were jumping were just like faced with not only this flood of like, you know, not only the, the, the normal PVP, but like this flood of elite PVPers who were in the quick playlist to just kind of fuck on people. And they were the people getting fucked on. Um, so I think, I think there's like a, a perfect storm aspect to it, right? Like I can tell you that as the week has gone on, it's got like, it's been consistently easier to do better. Um, there was a little bit of spike around the weekend, I think, because, you know, the people who can't play during the week got on during the weekend and did kind of the same thing. But, um, you know, as time wears on, I think this will be easier to accomplish because there won't be as many, um, hardcore PVPers in the, uh, in, in the, in the kind of like PVP light playlist. Um, right. But I think that, that to kind of your point, that that's a factor of not being able to control that. Do you, how much control do you feel like you have inside of a PvP match? Like this is something, for instance, that um, I have personally felt about playing ranked mode in Hearthstone and ranked mode in League of Legends, right? Where I was going really hard in one, um, and then you know later the other, because Hearthstone is only me. You you like you can never ever do that thing where you go oh uh, my my mid laner fed why didn't they let me play Yasuo you know what I mean like yeah. where you blame your team and kind of which I think is um you know I think that's a bad impulse in the first place and people need to take more responsibility for themselves in team games like League of Legends in general right um but I think everybody does this myself included right like and part of why I put League of Legends down is to a certain extent I was kind of unable to get over this um this feeling. Um, and, uh, and I wonder to a certain extent, like what, like, does that, does that crop up in destiny as well? Like, do you feel incredibly impactful over the match? Because like, to a certain extent, maybe part of this is that like, okay, like part of the principle I feel, I feel like I'm setting up is a regression mechanic can be good when players have a lot of choices in how they interface with it, right? Where you have choices on, even in a game like Skyrim, right? You have a choice to save anywhere in the game. So if you die, right, like part of that is your your failure to quick save or kind of whatever else, right? Um, and I kind of wonder about... Um, I kind of wonder about like some of these PvP games. Do players feel like in Crucible they have a choice and they are active agents, or are they just kind of like, you know, they they might be very good swimmers, but they're swimming in a hurricane and there's not a lot that they can do to to stop themselves from getting swept out to sea. So I I think ultimately you you have a lot of control over your performance and a lot of the complaint your a lot of the complaint I think is people like being bad and playing PvP. 
pee like it's PvE, which you can afford to be a lot more aggressive because the enemies are kind of stupid in like a kind of intentional way, right? Like um, there's kind of like meandering automatons and you're like the, the the cool, big, skillful guardian, whereas everybody's a big, cool, skillful guardian in PvP. But I think part of it that you can't control is that one, like I said, the matchmaking is either non-existent or just practically non-existent because I can tell you it feels that way. And the other part of it is um, you can definitely tell if you're having a good match or a bad match, but um, you can be having a bad match and still win the game, or, uh, or you can be having a good match and still lose the game because it's less kind of, you know, your function as a team, in my mind, and it's especially in quick play. That's just like the way it shakes out. But more kind of like, you know, on these in these 5v5 matches, um, which team had more players having a good game, right? Rather than any kind of like team dynamic. And I'm sure if you if you um if you organize teams and this is a thing that happens, right? Like a four man jumps into a, a crucible match and they just kind of run train over because everybody else is just kind of like running around like with chickens with their head cut off. Um, I can tell you having been there that that's the way it goes because, you know, it's fun to kill people. Um, and that's what you're focused on in, in kind of like normal play. Um, and so it can feel like your, your individual performance is not necessarily tied to the outcome of the game. Um, and I think taking that at large, the whatever matchmaking is there is probably there so that you you probably hit like about a 50% win-lose rate. But that's like irrespective of your individual performance. And this particular objective, this last word, is conditioned on your individual performance. Um and I think just kind of like some matchmaking problems inherent to the game, right? Like that taking into account those four-man teams that are like rolling into random crucible quick play matches lead to blowouts that can be incredibly just demoralizing. Um, like I straight up on, on the Destiny subreddit, um, there are people giving it people, there's some people that are like, oh, just get good scrub. There are people being like, oh, this isn't that bad. Just stay back. Use a long range weapon. Uh, assists count. Um, this is an interesting. I'll bring that up in a in a second because I think it's it's a fascinating thing that's kind of tied to this. Um, but uh, you know, stay back. Just uh, just take it easy. Make sure you know, make sure you're making smart decisions. And if you're in a blowout, leave the game. Right? Like just quit out of the match. Which is like, oh my god, wow. Yeah, and you know, you know, this isn't like official advice from from Bungie or anything, but this is like the common right, advice right. I've. I've I've seen, and it's like, this is a, a reality of the game, is occasionally you get into a match where you're totally outclassed, and at that and point... And so the natural conclusion of that is to create a metagame where you just kind of dip on a blowout. Yeah. Um, especially because there's not a lot of consequence for it. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's that. Um, the thing I wanted to point out about this, too, with the assist thing is, um, this is only tangentially related, but... Um, Destiny, um, you don't like, you know how like in, uh, in, in, in like say League of Legends, um, the person who gets the kill gets a kill and everybody who helped gets an assist, um, something in this game. And I think, I think it's also true in Overwatch maybe, um, is that everybody that's like the, whoever gets the killing blow, there isn't actually a lot of importance attached to that, right? Like everybody who contributed gets credit for the kill. 
And uh, Destiny has a thing that does account for somebody who gets the killing blow. It's not recorded in the overall game stats, but there's some mechanics tied to it, right? Like if you get a killing blow, you get certain uh, knock-on effects on, on certain uh, weapons. But that's, I think, it's its own type of like... Um, I don't know if it's, it's, it's negative progression or whatnot, but that KDA was talking about, like, it's kills plus assists over death because, like, there isn't really a concept of assists. Every, everything is considered, every person you help kill is considered a kill. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, And I want, like, I think this, at the very least, ties into our kind of discussion about, like, our, our trend away from, uh, from kind of, I guess I'm going to call it more hardcore impulses for lack of a better term, right? Like the, the kind of, um, uh, friendlyifying. I don't know. It, it, it's weird. Cause like, I think it's justified in that. Like if you do 75% of a person's damage, or somebody else gets the last hit right? like a classic kill steal. Um, uh, then, um, then, you know, you probably deserve more credit than an assist credit. Um, but at the same time, I can't help but, like, in my gut being, like, you know, oh, these, these fuck, freaking millennials with their participation uh, culture. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get the kill. You just helped get, you know, like, that, that kind of, kind of, like, that's, I think, kind of, like, definitely an, an instinct there. And, and I don't think it's... I don't think it's like I think on on balance, right? Like getting rid of a co- the concept of kill stealing is probably positive, but I do think that there's um, maybe something lost there when you say that somebody who helped is just as valuable as the person who finished out. I mean, yeah, I think to a certain extent that question, which I think is interesting, by the way, um, is kind of mediated by the just frank inability for you to qualitatively assess a kill quantitatively right you know you it's just so hard to boil this stuff down to numbers because like for instance if i if i do 99 percent of the damage to somebody and you just happen to get the last auto attack off or whatever right with your pea shooter that ticks him over that doesn't feel like a like a righteous or honorable kill right like that feels like you stole my kill and i would agree i would agree with that person right you did 99 percent of the work you basically killed the guy who got the killing blow doesn't fucking matter right but in a situation where i do 99 percent of the work but i get juked and outplayed by somebody and i'm out of ammo and they get just out of range and it's you that bounces a grenade off of a wall in order to get the splash damage to kill him right like yeah you really deserve that kill because i wasn't going to get it any you know like i wasn't going to get it in either case and you had to you know like work and exert some skill in order to actually like finish the guy off sort of thing otherwise he would have just gotten away and healed or whatever um and, and the game can't adjudicate it, right? Like the game, they, yeah. The, the game just has no. There's and there's really no way. I mean, maybe if you made like an incredibly advanced AI that was like, it would be. It would have to be more advanced than basically any AI I could ever think of, because you would have to have some sort of like ethics, right? And, and you of, know, and, of like what is a kill steal, and it would have to be watching every game simultaneously, like and, you know, processing and th- that. These are things that people disagree with, anyway, right? Like it's not like it's, yeah, like. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I, yeah. like, I just don't have a good way to, yeah, you know, yeah. like, so the, 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 to a certain extent, I think that that is just like a fundamental, um, it's one of those things where quality of a kill can't be, you can guess it and you can get pretty close a lot of the time, right? Overwatch, for instance, just does percentages, I'm pretty sure, where you get rewarded by the amount of percentage, um, you dealt to the enemy hero, right? So if you did 99%, you get 99% kill credit. If you did 1%, you get 1% kill credit. Um, but everybody still kind of gets the kill credit. So like on, on, on the top layer, it doesn't feel as as separated, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I also don't think anybody... Is, are there mechanics in Overwatch that require kills? Uh... No, I think it's just like a pop-up that's like eliminated or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, right. like some of those knock-on effects, I definitely feel that. Um, you know, like for instance, in WoW PvP, if I get a killing blow as a warrior, it activates Victory Rush, which is ability that heals me for like twenty-five percent of my HP or whatever, which is really valuable. So if I'm in an arena scenario, it is a pretty big deal whether or not I can get that killing blow. Um, because it includes this ability to heal myself for a quarter of my my health bar, um, and when you know, and that and that makes a lot of sense, right? Victory rush is an ability that's really there for PvP. I wouldn't say I would say that's there so that warriors can keep themselves up and topped off while they're just kind of doing menial questing, right? Because it triggers off of menial quest mobs or whatever. Um, but it kind of has this, like, ancillary effect on PvP. And I sort of almost wonder if, like, the answer to that, to a certain extent, would be just to be disabling all of those kinds of effects in a PvP environment. Or alternatively, saying, no, part of our PvP environment is... You know, you can only get one kill on somebody and you need to and it is a real resource and sure, if the frost mage gets the kill, it'll reduce all of his cooldowns by thirty seconds, and that's valuable. But if the warrior gets a kill, it'll give him this twenty five percent health buff. Yeah. Um, and, and I I, th- I think part of that too is that like it's also a thing that like I think plays out a little differently in a shooter versus like I, I think the the actions are a tiny bit slower. In WoW, right? Like, like yeah. do those do those actually discernible? Whereas, like, if you're two people shooting with like a, shooting at max rate at two people or at one person in in a FPS, you know, if my handgun bullet, you know, is enough to tip him over the edge, or like it lands in between bullets two and three of your assault rifle burst, right? Like, if it's enough to kill them versus like the third bullet from your like versus it hits him doesn't kill him, then the third bullet from your assault rifle kills them like i don't think that's a meaningful differentiation there so maybe that mechanic doesn't belong in that game or at least be it doesn't belong as a thing that you need to that you should be uh worried about right you just kind of have to live with with the fact that it's better for everybody to be you know it's better for people to be contributing to the kill than not um because uh, there are some knockout effects, right? Like there's, I think it's called Outlaw, where if you get a killing blow, a uh, precision killing blow, you get an increased reload time. Um, uh, and Or decreased reload time, rather. Uh, you know, you, you get better reload time is, is the point. Um, but I don't, I have never, I don't never heard anybody getting angry that they denied their Outlaw um, from it. Um, and I think, I think part of the thing you're, you're identifying with the WoW Arena too is, it's a thing that you strategize and you maybe get mad about for that knock-on effect, right? Like, it's a thing, it's like, oh, you screwed up our, our, our game plan. But it's not a thing where yeah. you're like, you're not getting mad at that person because they stole your kill, typically, right? Like, 
it's not like those kill like I think this this is uh kind of like almost like an an epeen thing right it's like oh I want to keep my KDA above one if you steal my kills I can't get my K I can't get my kills up high enough and the assists aren't worth you know like that that kind of thing um and you know maybe those things are best ignored in the uh in in the first place um man like you stole my kill just feels like uh like a, a thing that like I've grown out of um but I can't help but like understanding that right like understanding like the the, the frustration there yeah. um I, I think it definitely feels worth and worse in places where things are slower and more chunky right like in League of Legends things are a lot more del- in wow things are a lot more deliberate than they are in a first person shooter I think mm-hmm. um also, there are things that you can definitely do that are, like, obvious kill steals, right? Like, using your giant nuke on the person with a sliver of health left to steal it out from under the other person is a thing that is obvious what you are trying to do. You are wasting a resource to secure a kill because you yeah. want the big number. Um, whereas I feel like... Like, I feel like there are less analogous situations, I guess, in Destiny if you had, like... If you wasted your precious heavy ammo on a rocket launcher to kill somebody who was almost dead um that might qualify but there, there's some nuances there that I, I don't even think are, are worth getting into um but yeah um uh, we're a little bit afield from the original negative progression yeah but i, th- I do think point. that you know I, I i feel pretty confident in the in the conclusion that we came to earlier right where it's like your your progression regression mechanics need to be mitigated by a lot of agency and choice otherwise players are just going to kind of feel like they're being steamrolled um that feels that really feels kind of like the conclusion uh to i don't know that yeah that feels like like the 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 natural conclusion to talking about this stuff i think it's cool and i think it's really useful and i'm glad that these mechanics you know exist in the games that they exist in right i have like 500 bosses killed in rumble run which is essentially a roguelike um what is rumble run when you die on a run you reset back to you know to the beginning and it really you know like yeah it really fucking sucks to draft a great deck and then just kind of get like curb stomped um but i have a lot of agency over that game uh, and I have a lot of agency over the char- cards that I picked. And, you know, yeah, my deck had a lot of value, but it didn't have a lot of tempo. Or it had a lot of tempo, but I didn't have any finishers kind of thing, right? Like, all of, all of that stuff really... Um, is is think... Rumble Run another one of these Hearthstone adventure things? Yeah, yeah. It's just like the, the, the newest um, yeah. uh, PvE adventure mode where, you know, you it's eight bosses. As you go, the bosses get stronger. Every time you defeat a boss, you get, you know, you get a couple of cards to add to your deck from a bucket. You know, it's great. Um, but you know, yeah. the, because there's so much agency, the regression mechanic is sort of fair, right? And, um, and that's also kind of the point of the game, right? Like, it's not like, yeah. you know, um, thinking about like, say a roguelite or a roguelike, right? Like, um, you are not doing this to get another things so you can go enjoy the rest of your game, right? Like the point is to beat the roguelike and be done with it. Um, or, yeah. you know, like, to, to to complete that run, once you complete that run, you've beaten the game. That, that to is accomplish the accomplish whatever goal you set out for yeah. yourself. Yeah, and then the, you, you are set, you are accomplishing said goal um, with the completion, and so resetting on it is just you not making progress through the goal, whereas the, the kind of issue with this Last Whisper thing is you are not 
actually the goal you are you are striving for is not is the unlocking of the weapon to go play the game that you want to play, not actually doing the thing that you are doing. Um, that kind of makes it like a content muncher in a way. Maybe I guess yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it like kind of the end of this. I don't think it's 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 necessarily kind of terrible design. I just think mm-hmm. that. Um, I, I just under, I'm just gonna say I understand where the people who are frustrated are, are coming from. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like. Hmm. I don't know if, if I've got a good way to to solve it other than other than like maybe. You know something like you suggested where like you can you can cash in at some point and be like lock in this much progress for me that way I can eventually get to. I think maybe that's. Like, you know, not to kind of, like, throw a point at that at kind of, like, the end, but, like, part of this, too, is, like, there's a, maybe a sense that you'll never be able to get it done, whereas with, with a lot of the things, like, you can, you know, because you, with most of these objectives, you don't have negative progression, you just have kind of, like, steady forward progression, eventually you will get there, um, but, you know, that's, uh, I think I I I think I think we we've we've kind of talked this to death. Uh, you, you agree? I I I'm, I'm certainly with you. All right. Um so yeah, yeah. Uh, so how was your week? Uh so my week was pretty good. I, I so I guess do you want to talk about Anthem first? The Anthem demo? Yeah, yeah, let's weekend. talk about the Anthem demo. Um we played more of it. I got the chance to ch- try out some of the additional javelins. We both got the chance to try out some of the, d- the additional javelins. I was having an insane amount of fun on the Colossus. Um, and uh, uh, and even though I also like – I didn't play the Interceptor, but I like the Storm quite a bit. Uh, I feel like the Colossus is kind of going to be where I'm at when, uh, when Anthem does its full release later this month. Um, yeah and uh yeah yeah i mean th- i definitely have some problems with the game i was more afflicted by bugs this time than the first time um you know there were a lot of enemies that were just like disappearing on me did you ever get that no i never got i never got a disappeared enemy that's that's weird um but yeah, uh, yeah i didn't really know what that and i also i think they might not have disappeared they actually just teleported to another spot on the map because, like, this one time I went and I was fighting, like, a pack of just, you know, like, random animal mob things or whatever. And they disappeared. And I was like, wait, what? And then I, like, flew a little bit. And I was like, oh, here's a slightly damaged guy. What the fuck is this? Is this the guy that I was fighting from before? I don't really know what the answer to that question is. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So so I, I, I agree with you. Um, I, th- I think the game isn't flawless. I, I'm curious to see what the final build looks like. Um uh, I also agree with you. I had a lot of fun with the with the storm. Like I, I thought I was going to be like big into the Colossus, and I was. But I think that the the storm might ultimately be the one that I I like the most, mostly because I really like like one one of my kind of like uh, things I enjoy fantasies is, is kind of like the hard hitting pistol pistol user, and uh, the Colossus can't use pistols. I'm, I'm also wasn't super impressed with the uh, with the heavy weapons, um, which are like the grenade launchers and the uh, auto cannons. Um, are there any other ones besides those two? Not that I saw. Um, there okay. might be more, but you know, I didn't play like a, an exhaustive amount. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Um, so it was fun. Uh, something that I have heard is that the game is going to launch with three dungeons, um, which seems just like not enough. Um, the 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 kind of sinking. Th- 
feeling I'm getting in my stomach about these kinds of games is the correct thing is not to play them on launch, but to wait six to twelve months to see if see if it gets good and to play it when it gets good. Um, yeah. It feels like that's what happened with, uh, with 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 Destiny Two, which we've been playing a lot of. It feels like that's what happened with um, uh, No Man's Sky. It might happen with Fallout seventy six. You know, it, it's 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 kind of a shame that all of these uh, all these kind of lifestyle games just aren't good um, un, until much later down the line. And because yeah, it's just about content to a certain extent, yeah. you know, where you need to have stuff to do. Yeah, um, I do wonder what that's going to look like for. Uh, I do wonder what that's going to look like for um, Anthem. I'm I'm hoping that because the different javelins are a thing, and like leveling up your different javelins, like I I I didn't feel a big pull to um, to do an alt. I did an alt for a little bit in Destiny Two, but like even though my first character was a hunter and my second character was a col- no Titan. Titan um, I was just like, these guys are just, they, they shoot guns, you know, like, and yeah. the powers are like, you know, a sprinkle of paprika at, you know, uh, every every minute sort of thing. Uh, whereas when it came to Anthem, right, like, yeah, playing the Colossus was absolutely and fundamentally different than playing... Um, uh, the, the ranger, then, you know, like then playing the ranger, right, or or playing the storm, and so because of that, I feel like it'll get kind of more longevity in a way. It actually reminds me a lot of Payday Two, to be honest with you, um, where the different builds, you know, like the the more you leveled up in sort of or in sort of thing, like the different builds, just God, they played so differently. You know, whether you were a medic or a technician or you're a big heavy, you know, with like the super crazy armor and stuff like that. Um, and uh, and I kind of wonder if that's going to be the sort of the, the like the saving grace. This is something that we criticized about Destiny Two that it didn't go hard enough on its RPG mechanics um, in order to like really help differentiate things. Um, so, so, so whereas Anthem does. So I, I I mostly agree with you, but I think the worry there or the the point there is going to be that the uh, the the javelins don't level up independently. You have one central level. And you just outfit your four different javelins as you go, um, and at least that's how it worked in the demo, right? Like if I if you want to switch from a, a colossus to a storm, it's not like you're going back to level one. You still might have picked up relevant gear along the way for it. Um, so I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. My understanding was that that was just for the demo. Oh, okay, maybe that's. I it. don't know if that's right though. That's just kind of. Yeah. My, in my head, that was just the way. I, I actually don't know how that works, and you might be right, which would kind of suck. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's hoping that it leans like like Diablo. It kind of leans on the uh, the kind of looter aspect, where like you just want to keep building up. Um, you just want to keep making and also because better loot. So, you know, like the loot ties into the abilities that you have. Uh, that's a big deal for me, I feel like. And one of the reasons that I, I could see myself like really diving deep into the game is because, like, it, in a certain sense, you are, like, skill-ups um, or what would otherwise be talent points or whatever um, are in Anthem tied to, tied to loot. Like, you have to loot a grenade launcher to put it on your thing in order for your grenade launcher power to to do you know whatever and so like yeah carrying a siege missile versus a 
mortar versus a whatever will like change the way that you play um and that you can make a colossus build that's i don't know like melee focused with shield you know ups and stuff like that or whatever or you could play a colossus that's heavy weapons focused and you're kind of like a big you know grenadier kind of thing or whatever um yeah but yeah no, I, I, d- I also just, God, did I love going back to a version of a shooter where I could use a shotgun as a normal weapon. You know what I mean? That was part, that was part of my problem with Destiny is that basically everything, you know, because the, the spectrum of the first two weapons, your, your energy weapon, you had your whatever regular weapon. Kinetic. Um, your kinetic weapon went from sort of like these single shot pistol scout rifles to the assault rifles. Um, to like to the submachine guns, I found that to be very narrow, um, and I hated that sniper rifles and shotguns were locked behind this kind of heavy weapons. But being able to take a shotgun out and be a kind of in-your-face guy just felt so good in Anthem. Yeah. So, um, fun facts about Destiny is they changed that. Um, you can get shotguns oh, really? in the uh, in the in the first and second slots as well, and snipers as well. Um, rocket launchers and stores still limited to the third s- slot, um, but the kind of uh, trade-off there is that they still take they don't take um like uh the the totally separate ammo but they, they do take a, a rarer set of ammo and so there's less ammo for it and you can run out but it's like it is more frequent than the power ammo the the purple ammo um but it is less frequent than like your, your standard kinetic ammo so um, actually the meta right now in the crucible is to use shotguns and it's kind of and people say it's kind of stale and they're not happy with it but you know that's the way it goes um but yeah that, that stuff definitely uh exists um as so you uh-huh. can you you can play yeah. with your uh, shotguns in kind of that those slots um yeah um but that's 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 what i've been, I've been playing a lot of destiny um uh, just uh played with uh friend of the friends of the cast monic and barry I've just been going through all the content and, and, and tooling around with it. Um, there's a lot there, and it's fun, and I'm enjoying it. Um, what else have I have, have I done? Uh, well, so uh, we are recording on February 3rd, which is the Super Bowl. I am told that my local team, the, the LA Rams, of which I know absolutely nothing have lost to the new england patriots mango's team because he lives in new hampshire they're they are not mango's my team, team. they are not my for team them now you guys i do not he really loves them you guys i do not for for interested fans i am a new york giants fan um i am not a new england patriots fan and tom brady uh, is we've talked like, about doing it like a like a kind of game theory yeah. sports episode um in the past but when when we got on the when we got on the pod like before we started recording you said that this was the most boring game of of like football ever um do you want to talk a little bit about that yes yeah, i'm so- actually very interested in the I'm, I'm very interested in this idea so so i mean i guess Calling it the most boring game ever is a little bit unfair. It was basically a very defensive game. Um, for the first basically three quarters of the game, there were there were like there were like three points total in the first half, and like another three points until like halfway through the fourth quarter. And it was a lot of just like four and outs, which is you know you uh, you get you you don't you fail to get a first down and you have to punt it away. Um, uh, to the Rams' credit, their defense was good and was good at holding back New England, which is moderately more successful 
on offense than the Rams. And the Rams on offense were terrible. Jared Goff, who is their quarterback, just wasn't looking good. Um, he's a newer quarterback, and so the, the analysts were saying that. Like, he's, he's new, so he gets easily spooked. Um, and that Bill Belichick, the Patriots, who um, are headed by Bill Belichick, is their head coach. And uh, he is a uh, uh, generally considered to be one of the best in the game, um, if not the best in the game. It was good at just kind of throwing him off of off balance and not them not being able to produce a lot. And so it was a lot of nothing happening, punting back and forth. Um, the joke I saw about 37 times was um, Maroon 5 played the halftime show. Uh, and so the, the joke was something along the lines of Maroon 5, Patriots 3, Rams 0, because it was such a low-scoring game. Um, <laughs> um, uh, also against predictions, people were predicting that this game was going to be like something like in the 30 to 20 point, 20 to 30 point range for each team. Um, it ended at 13-3, um, Patriots favor. Um, uh, and it's just, like I said, there was some very good defensive play if you like watching that, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like spectacular defensive play, if, if that makes sense. And I don't mean spectacular in that it wasn't very good. It just was like a very solid standard defense. It wasn't like a lot of like, uh, incredible blocks or anything that were like highlightable or whatever, right? Which is kind of like they played the game well, they put the pressure where it needed to be, and passes didn't get made and runs didn't get made effectively. Uh, and so, you know, everything was, was slowed down. And, uh, it was just kind of a, a tedious game is maybe the best way to put it. Um, the commercials also weren't particularly great this year. Um, I think kind of the, 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 the biggest thing coming out of these or like the, one of the, the, the bigger kind of reactions I saw was WeatherTech who make car formats had a couple of commercials, one of which was for like a phone, like a, a, a phone holder that you put in the cup holder of your car. And everybody's reaction was kind of like, and it was like this very plain, very, very, very plain commercial. Whereas like somebody <laughs> like dropped their phone and it's like, tired of you dropping your phone? Put it in your, put it in our new WeatherTech phone holder. WeatherTech, made in America. It's very straight laced, straightforward commercial. Like given that they make car formats, I like, like like I I I said this to our to in our out of or in in our collective chat like I feel like they were like ha- like you could they could have just winked at the camera and it would have been a weird parody commercial right like it um the only commercial that I thought was particularly good was uh, uh Dietz and Watson had apparently has a new line of uh of like uh bite sized meat snacks um and they're called Dietz nuts. And uh, <laughs> the commercial is just Craig Robinson sitting on a couch with somebody else who I, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with. Um, he's like, mm, you want some of Dietz nuts? Are Dietz nuts good? Uh, um, they're like meat nuts. Are you enjoying Dietz nuts? Like, you just like this, like, it's like very kind of like rye commercial. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, I don't know. There was there was a commercial for the Microsoft accessibility um, controller. You know they have that controller for that um, the, the super configur- configurable controller that's meant to be used by people who um, don't have uh, you know, like they're they're disabled in some way where they can't use a normal controller. Right? Um, and it was nice. It was a little bit of a tearjerker, um, which you know it was blatantly that was what they were going for. It was like some dad being like, and my kid can feel normal when he gets to play video games. Cause nobody knows he's any different and he can play with this pad. I'm just like, Oh, 
a bunch of kids without hands playing video games, which is, you know, heart-wrenching in, in some way. Um, so that was nice. Um, the weirdest thing was uh, the 100th season of the NFL is coming up, and they had a commercial for it. And most of it was, like, a bunch of, like, legendary players throwing, like, they were, like, the, the scene for the commercial is there's they're at the celebration for the 100-year um, anniversary and a football gets loose, loose and all of the players immediately, like, like on instinct, go into playing football mode. Um, and they start, like, throwing the football around the uh, uh, around this dining hall that they're in. So there are people crashing through cakes and knocking over glass. And that's all fine and good. But at the very top of the commercial, like... A waiter comes over and, like, puts a glass down, and it's Ninja, right? Like, the, the streamer, like, the pink hair and all. And I, like, look at him, like, is, is that Ninja? And idiot. And, but, and then he exits the frame and has nothing to do with the rest of the commercial. It's not acknowledged. And it's like, what was that about? He's, like, not related to football <laughs> at all, right? He's not even, like, a, a Madden player or anything. He's just, like, the world, you know, the world's biggest streamer. Um which I thought was uh, cool, but, uh, you know, um, otherwise I'm hyped for, uh, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but um, they did like a fake, like the the CBS has gone offline type thing, and uh, they teased um, the Twilight Zone is coming back on April 1st, um, being hosted by Jordan Peele, uh, and it you know, I feel like he'd be, he's a good face for the series, obviously he's done some really crazy stuff with um, Get Out, and... Um, uh, this new one, uh, is it They Come? The one that comes out in March? It's called Us. Us. Yeah. We'll probably go over that one for this cast, right? Um, or if they don't, uh, I'll talk about it maybe. in one of these. these I, feel like, I feel like I, we actually have a pretty full slate coming yeah. up in the next cut. Because there's Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, Shazam. Um, um, are we doing Alita? Alita, yeah. Alita would be a good one. Alita's in two weeks. I mean, at the very least, we'll end up talking about it in an, in an end segment. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Plus, we've got our fucking Oscars episode at some point. Um, oh yeah. We might have to... Like, last year, we did it as a special dispatch. We might have to do it as a special, special dispatch again. Um, yeah, especially because I have seen, what, like one of the Oscar movies yeah. this year? I've been so much worse about it. Um, um, are any of the theaters do you doing... like like? Uh, there's a couple near me that are doing the pay $35, see all of the Oscar uh, Best Picture nominees. Oh, interesting. Uh, I'm sure there are a bunch of them. I never have any trouble seeing the Oscar bait movies in L.A. It's just uh, like a matter of, like, can I get the time in my schedule to, like, actually go out and sit down in a theater and watch these movies? Um, mm. and, uh, yeah, yeah. Plus, you, yeah. You, you, you... Some of some of them are on streaming. Like, I think Black Klansman is streaming at this point. Um, yeah, the, the, big, the big uh, ones... The, the big ones in kind of, like, the, uh, the, the, the hard-to-find land, like... Um, like there's a like the favorite. It's the favorite best picture or is it just like best costume. Um, uh, the favorite is in for best picture. Okay, I think that one's like actively in theaters, but like Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody are like right on the edge of like where they would be ending their theater runs. Like I think Bohemian Rhapsody was out of theaters. Um, yeah, because Bohemian Rhapsody came out in October. Yeah, um, um, and it kind of inexplicably made money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, if you, uh, for those of you at home, if you want to go see Black Panther, it's uh, coming back to theaters on February first, um, which is already happening. Um, it's given that it's after February first. Apparently, um, I remember seeing this on Twitter that you can get 
free admission. Maybe only for kids. I haven't looked into it, but uh, for Black History Month is the promotion. Um, so uh, if you haven't seen it, go see it. No, Oscar-nominated Black Panther. Um, <laughs> I love the way that you. I love the way that you said that. How do you How do you feel about um, like the state of the Oscars and like Oscar bait and stuff like that? Um. Uh, so. How do I want to put this? Um, you know, just because I think that Black Panther is a good movie. I don't know if it's best picture. We'll talk about that probably when we get to that episode. Um, I am a little bit wary of like the big blockbusters kind of getting best picture noms. Not that I don't think they necessarily deserve it. Um, we probably have a deeper conversation about this, but part of... I think the thing that lets directors make these kind of experimental pictures that wouldn't otherwise see the big screen, um, like what makes them a financial, like a financially viable, right, um, or, or an incentive for a studio to produce, is the fact that they can go win an Oscar and um, either make a bunch of money, like you know, make a bunch of money in kind of like the reruns that way, or um, get like a bunch of prestige for the studio. Or the, like it, it's a thing that like affords the. Like, like th- that lets those kind of movies exist. Whereas, if every Marvel movie was getting a Best Picture every year, I feel like you at that point have no incentive to make these kind of smaller pictures um, that typically get the nomination, right? Because they're both not prestigious and not commercially viable. If that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, so I find that interesting, but I also find it a little bit funny because that is a new thing. What you're describing. And by the way, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Like, I, I very much think that that is a good thing. I think that in a lot of ways, Oscar bait itself is not necessarily, uh, uh, like, quality, but, like, style. You know what I mean? Um, but I appreciate that, like, you know, uh, a blockbuster movie is going to make all of its money based on being the super popular thing that all the kids are into. And an Oscar bait movie is going to make money because it'll win awards or whatever. Um and obviously, I feel like something, you know, I feel like there have been plenty of great movies that have been uh, nominated and won Oscars, right? Moonlight is unequivocally the best movie out of 2016, and it absolutely makes sense for it to win that Oscar. Um, and, uh, but I do find it a little bit interesting, because for the longest time, there has been outrage in the fanboy community, Um that blockbusters kind of fell out of the Oscar race, right? Like 20 years ago, in 2003, Lord of the Rings swept the Oscars, right? It was, it was, a, it was a huge deal, right? It was this big giant blockbuster, right? But it, it won Best Picture. Viggo Mortensen won Best Actor. Peter Jackson won Best Director and stuff like that. And it feels like we are in a much different age where even if a new Lord of the Rings comes out, right, like Avengers Infinity War is never going to get that kind of recognition, right? Even Avatar in 2009 got that recognition. Um, and almost always when a, when a movie sets a world record or like a worldwide record um, for – uh, for like box office, uh, which at the time, you know, Avatar made $2.7 billion, right? And just an absolutely insane and incredible amount of money. That was the first time that the Academy chose the small picture over the big one, right? Cause they chose the Hurt Locker. Um, but I do find it interesting that as soon as Black Panther got the nomination, the fanboy community was immediately like, what? B- B- Black Panther? 
that doesn't deserve to be nominated. It's not, you know, like, <laughs> no, <laughs> which I, I thought was pretty hilarious. I mean, I, I, I think there's a point, like, I don't know. I have, I, I've gone on record before and I will say, I mean, I haven't necessarily gone on this podcast, but I don't think Black Panther was the best superhero movie to come out this year. I don't think I know, it was because the- Aquaman was, but that's beside the <laughs> point, Mango. <laughs> um, honestly, I think, I think, I think Spider-Verse deserves it more than Black Panther does. Um, okay. Like, like, so I think Infinity War was better than Black Panther. I don't think either wow. of them deserve best picture. Wow. Um, Jeez. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Black Panther was that great. <laughs> um, like, I think wow. Black, right. Black Panther was good, but, like, I don't think, like, I don't think the combat was good. I don't think T'Challa was an interesting character. Um, freaking, uh, like, I th- I would support, um, I'm sorry, I don't know the actor's name, but uh, Killmonger getting, like, Best Supporting Actor or something Michael like B. that. Jordan. Michael yeah. B. Jordan, yeah. Um, like I think that's a worthy award for that film to 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 win because he was incredible, but I don't think the rest of the film was that great. Um, like it was good, but I don't think it was like best picture worthy. I think. Yeah, I see. I see a lot of this kind of thing, and I think a lot of it comes down to a certain extent to plot mechanics. This also happens with Aquaman, um, where because it's kind of straightforward from a plot mechanics perspective. Um, I feel like a lot of people who are in that, you know, who are in that kind of fanboy community, right, are a little bit like, I've seen this movie a zillion times, right, just because it has a black guy in the lead doesn't make it great or whatever, and it doesn't deserve, like, the best picture nomination. Um, and it is because of that, like, that value, whereas something like Spider-Verse, which had a much, th- that was a plot where I don't think anybody, even I as a person who is intimately aware of these comics, these specific, you know, like I've read the Miles Morales comics and I understand him and his backstory or whatever. There were a lot of twists and turns that you just didn't see coming. And I think that that's a, that's a big part of the movie um, is that it keeps you on the edge of your seat and, and you don't know which way the plot is going in the same way that I talked about how um, Bad Times at the El Royale lived on that principle, right? It was compelling because you didn't know what was coming next, right? I think movies where you do know what's coming next can be equally compelling, right? This is, you know, like, I'm probably more inclined to this because I like a lot of these kind of, like, classic structures, right? Sure. I mean, like... Aquaman and Black Panther are two sides of the same coin in this, but like the kind of the the King Arthur, you know, somebody pulls a sword from the stone and becomes king and learns responsibility story, and the new ruler who has to make hard choices about being that new, like these are very well worn archetypes, right? You know, we could go back to the 1600s to you know to look at um, this is like Henry the Fourth or whatever. Um, and and uh, and I think that's a big dividing point for people, which isn't to say, by the way, that either side is really right or wrong. It's just kind of like I feel like that is a that's kind of like a taste in the zeitgeist uh, kind of thing. And I think it's a lot of what made Infinity War fly, too, because people didn't expect where that was going and how that film to be structured the way it was. Though I will say I continue to deny anyone who says that Thanos is the protagonist of that story because he's not. Um, yeah, I think I think that's an argument about semantics, and uh, I don't really care. Like, like not to dismiss you, but I I think when people say he's the protagonist, they're using this weird definition, which is like the person that like moves the plot forward or something like that, rather than like the yeah. normal definition. I, which yeah, is, I think a lot of the times people think of protagonist in the third grade, you know, where you just learn the protagonist is like the main character. 
Um, whereas that's kind of not quite true because like that's a really complicated thing yeah to you know um, yeah um but uh but yeah yeah there was an interesting thing i read recently it wasn't about infinity war but it reminded me of this conversation where it's like the difference between like the villain and the antagonist is the antagonist is the person that you're that like the characters act like you know that the characters interact with whereas like you know, if there's like a man behind the man, the man behind the man is the villain, but he's not necessarily the antagonist because he's not like visible to the plot. If that makes sense, I thought there was just like an interesting music. Um, oh, that's interesting. So, like, the villain might be the emperor or whatever, whereas the antagonist, antagonist. is Darth Vader. For yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I also think antagonist has a couple of different. Part of it is that like certain words get conflated and there's like multiple definitions in a way. Um, so for instance, like POV character is a lot of the times conflated with protagonist where you'll say like, Oh, you know, like, like uh, Max in Mad Max Fury Road is the POV character, right? And people will go, no, well, it's actually Furiosa's story, right? She's the one who has all of the agency and the plot and everything was like, well, Max is the POV character, and it's his growth that defines the story. And really kind of both are true, because both of those things are the protagonist, right? One of them is the protagonist in the kind of Thanos version, where he is the person who has agency and makes the choices that drive the narrative, right? That that put fuel in the gas tank of the engine that is the narrative, right? Um, whereas the Bad Max kind of protagonist is the protagonist who is the point of view character for the audience, and he is the character that changes between, you know, he changes over the course of the film, right? And that makes him the protagonist, even if he's kind of taking a back seat to, uh, like, the narrative momentum of, of Furiosa. And I think both of those things have been described as the protagonist enough that it's kind of one of those words that just, like, has two definitions that are sort of related but tan like but ephemerally kind of linked and the thing that that's the thing that i don't like about when people talk about thanos as the protagonist um is they talk about it like he's the one with the plan and the and the superheroes are the antagonists trying to stop him which i think is a very poor read um, uh, isn't uh, that like every superhero movie? Yeah, every, every super, yeah, superheroes are pretty definitionally reactive. Almost always a superhero story is the antagonist wants to do something crazy and drastic like blow up the world, terraform, you know, you know, terraform Earth into Krypton or change the DNA of all the world leaders into mutants or kind of whatever. And it is the human's job to stop them. And by that kind of basic and uninformed logic, um, that would make them the antagonist in every single movie that like they kind of uh, that they kind of like populate. Even something like the presence of Black Panther and um, even something like the presence of Black Panther and Aquaman as kind of foils for one another, where Black Panther tells the story from the king's side of things and Aquaman tells the story from the the usurpers kind of things right like kind of pokes that hole and means in you know and kind of demonstrates how that like that principle doesn't quite hold but we're coming up on time yeah. so yeah um I just, did I, you have I anything else you want to talk about yes. this week before we uh went into the wrap-up segment no no i'm good all right well if you'd like to tell us what you thought what you think about negative progression or the last word or destiny do or any of the other things that we talked about on this podcast 
Um, feel free to, to shoot us a line over at some derps play games at gmail.com or podcast at some play games.com. Um, you can follow twitch.tv slash some derps play games. Maybe ever we'll finish uh, hell's rebels. Um, oh God, I want to so bad. <laughs> um, uh, otherwise, Oh, um, in the kind of last promotion section of this, I'm going to shout out Jim McClure is putting up a Kickstarter for his new game called uh, uh, Reach of Titan. I'll put a link in the description. Um, it's a Monster Hunter-inspired tabletop RPG. The mechanics look really neat. Uh, feel free to jump on board with that. Um, uh, that was just like a, a thing I happened to see in, in passing. They've got some stretch goals to have like guest authors um write uh new monsters a uh, number have already been unlocked including uh cat cool who was the former host of the campaign pod which i've talked about in the in the past and up uh, up soon is uh, the angry gm um he will also be doing a guest monster if there's enough funding secured so uh go check that out buddy do you have anything else that you wanted to promote i have nothing else i'm looking to promote in that case until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listener